Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Hey, this is Emily. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. And today we are so excited to be here at Breakout Atlanta. And this is actually kicking off our very first live podcast recording. Ain't that right, B? It's that's so right. Um, we're a, I'm a little nervous. I'm not gonna lie. This is our first, you know, live taping. But we have glasses of wine on the table to help us through those nerves, calm the nerves. But uh, <laughs> I think it's gonna be great. And one of the reasons why we're so excited is because we have an amazing guest here to talk through an issue that I think is near and dear to both of our hearts as urban cyclists, which is women and bike riding. And we're so excited to be joined here in Atlanta with Rebecca Serna. Uh, Rebecca is the executive director of Atlanta, Bi- the Atlanta Bicycle Coalition. She has a master's degree from Georgia State University, Go Panthers. <laughs> Shout out to the Panthers. And really, she has probably one of my dream jobs, which is all about making cities like Atlanta more bikeable and sort of better places to walk and bike and better places to just sort of be a pedestrian and making these cities more livable. So we're so excited to have you here. Yeah, thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm excited. Awesome. So why don't we, I think a good place to start is talking a little bit about the radical history behind women and biking. And really, biking was in so many ways part of the women's emancipation movement. We know that suffragettes marched for rights with bicycles, that some of the earliest bikes um, that were created once they were deemed kid-friendly, not that giant wheel and little wheel bike, that first model, once they had a a safe bike that was more balanced, deemed kid-friendly, it was also deemed for some women to be women-friendly. Yeah, and so there's actually a really interesting history of biking and, and, and women's rights. In the 1800s, when sort of biking became more like a, like a craze and everybody was doing it, it sort of forced fashion for women to be a little bit less restrictive because, you know, in order to bike, you have to be able to move your legs, you have to be able to show your legs, your ankles, and so... Ankles were pretty radical. That was a pretty yeah. radical. I know it's kind of hard to, to imagine now. What I found to be a really fascinating article from the San Francisco Call, published in 1895, this little like blurb about women and all these women who were bike riding and how they were sort of riding their way to equality. 
It really doesn't matter much where this one individual young lady is going on her wheel. It may be that she's going to the park on a pleasure bend or to the store for a dozen hairpins or to call a sick friend at the other side of town or to get a daily pattern of some recipe for removing tan lines or freckles. (laughs) Let that be as it may. What the interested public wishes to know is where are all these young women on wheels going? Is there a grand rendezvous somewhere toward which they are all headed and where they will sometime hold a meet that will cause this wobbly old world to wake up and readjust itself? And so very early on, you saw uh, publications sort of highlighting the fact that women on bikes, they were all on their way someplace and they were on their way someplace alone. Unsupervised, unchaperoned, which was really not something that genteel women were expected to be out and about at all on their own. Totally. So, so long. What's also really funny is that like, just like today, how when women do anything, there's always haters on the internet, wherever. Yeah. I did find a really funny article published in the late 1800s that was like, I always thought the grossest thing I'd ever see a woman do was smoking, but now I'm seeing all these women on bikes. Yeah. Like, it's like, just, just like today, still plenty of people, totally. you know, what's something to say. People were upset that women were bucking gender roles at the time. And shout out to Kristen Conger, the original creator of Stuff Mom Never Told You and our, and one of the previous co-hosts. They actually covered an episode that goes way deeper into the history of women and biking called Do, Did Women Pedal Their Way to Equality? And in it, one of the f- most fascinating things I saw was a quote from Susan B. Anthony, might have heard of her before, who said at one time, I think bicycling has done more to emancipate women than anything else in the world. So it really created freedom of mobility. Uh, it started fashion trends to change, especially beginning in Paris, where women were the first Parisian women led the way uh, for the women's bicycle revolution. And just the concept that you could get around on your own. And I, I honestly don't think it's that different today. Right? Do you feel like there was a moment in your life, Rebecca, where biking opened up a door for you to be more sort of free or feel free? Because I feel my freest when I'm zooming through traffic on a bike. I don't know about y'all, but not being stuck in a car feels pretty darn free. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me it was in college where I did go to the University of Georgia undergrad. And, you know, I didn't own a car and I wanted to get around town. And Athens is a really cool college town. And a lot of people ride bikes. So, you know, I picked up a bike and started riding around and it was this tremendous sense of freedom. And I was in college, so there was also that side of the freedom. Um, but when I got back to Atlanta, it just was not really in the air. People just mm. weren't really doing it around me. But then a couple of years later, a couple of years went by and some women that I knew were riding around my neighborhood and they weren't dressed up to do it. So going back to the clothing, yeah. you know, they didn't have on spandex. They weren't wearing anything that... I wouldn't wear they're just in normal clothes and skirts and dresses. And that really spoke to me. I was like, okay, I can do that. That looks like mm. something I can, I can get with. Yeah. So it doesn't look like competitive racing on your bicycle. It looks exactly. more like the European model of bicyclists, which is like the functional everyday use of your bike that doesn't require a specific outfit or clip in pedals, which are kind of intimidating to me, even though I have clip in pedals, <laughs> I don't use them 99.9% of the time. It's interesting how I think as bicyclists, we all have a thing or a moment that made us sort of become avid bicyclists. Yeah. It's interesting. Like, What was that this, for you? Uh, so for me, mine was uh, kind of a, a downer, just to level set. Um, 
I've always been a big bicyclist. My dad is, you know, my dad is, has a chronic illness and is pretty sick, but he rides his bike every day like clockworks. And so, you know, that's something I just sort of grew up doing. And so I always had bikes. I pretty much had, had them since like high school, college. And I also always had a car. And I remember when Sandra Bland was killed, that was really kind of a, a thing that really struck me because, you know, something about Sandra Bland's death that I, that sticks with me is that she was so much like myself, right? Like an activist, an organizer, kind of like someone who speaks her mind, has a lot to say, maybe doesn't always, you know, um, jibe well with authority or like if, you know, a police officer says something wouldn't, maybe would not be the, be quick to sort of just go along with it. Yeah. And, you know, like someone who has something to say. And I really saw a lot of myself in her. And something that I kind of, that always stuck with me is this idea that like those qualities that I love about myself and that I see in Sandra Bland, those might be the same qualities that like led, like I could not help thinking that that could have been me, right? Like I could see myself getting stopped in my car, um, by a police officer. And I live, I I live in DC, but my folks live in Virginia. So I'm in Virginia a lot, which is a kind of a a state that's notorious for, uh, overzealous traffic stops. And I just remember thinking like, I don't want, I want to minimize my contact, my everyday contact with police. And the best way to do that is to give up driving and to bike exclusively. So I no longer, like, I have not really had a car for a while since then. And my main method of transportation is biking. Because I just, that was like a wake-up call to me where I was like, I want to minimize my the the times where I'm involuntarily interacting with police wow. officers. Yeah, and talk about freedom. Like who I mean, I think that's such an important story to tell. Um, because there's we have to look at this intersectionally, right? Driving a car doesn't look as dangerous for all of us as it does for some. And just to for anyone who who who's for whom the name Sandra Bland doesn't ring a bell, um, just to to go back to Sandra's story for a second, she was a twenty eight year old black woman who uh you know, in some ways, there's still some mystery around her death. Um, and of course, I think I'm pretty sure the police walked on her wrongful death suit. Yes. Yeah, so she was found. She was arrested for, frankly, some BS, um, was not arrested for, in my mind, any good cause. And then and the viral video of yes. her being, what, thrown to the ground in over, a violent again, manner? Over a traffic stop. Over, right. over Everyday know. traffic stop. She's on the way to her new job in another state. Again, exactly. And I just think that... You know, so she was the official cause of death, you know, a, a, according to the story that we were told is suicide, which I'm not, I'm, you know, I, I wasn't there. I don't know. Right. But even still, the fact that she was even that, that that interaction with police escalated in that way is, in my mind, totally horrifying. unacceptable oh, and horrifying. And, and many, many have rightful reason to believe it led to her death. Correct. Yeah. So did you want to add something? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just going to be even more of a downer and say, you know, I agree that biking is freedom in so many ways, but at the same time, there've been some recent news reports that in cities like Tampa and Minneapolis, that people of color are being racially profiled on bikes. Wow. Oh, so I've, I've, been, I've been, I mean, <laughs> I have been stopped by police on my bike before. Wow. So, which is, I do I think mean, it lessens your exposure because you don't get caught up in as many, um, of the dragnet kind of traffic stops. Yeah. Um, but you know, that's still part of uh, the reality and out on the road. And when I tell people that, that I've been stopped by police on my bike, they find it shocking. They're <laughs> like, what? Mm. Like you ran a stop. I mean, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't be running stop signs on your bike, but like wink, wink, we all do it. Yeah. Um, you know, but people find that to be very shocking. Wow. 
So let's, let's dive more into this concept around safety and biking, because I think that's a really important, uh, condition that is a prerequisite to getting more women on bikes, right? Because we know that um, more and more women are picking up the two-wheel option over the past few years, but there isn't too much data out there, really, that's shown even in the past 200 years. It's not radical or revolutionary anymore for women to be on two wheels, but we still haven't seen equal numbers of women biking as compared to men nationally here in the United States. I'm not sure if that's different abroad, but there's very... It is different abroad? Yeah. There, I haven't found a lot of data on that. Have you been able to? Um, I can't cite anything specifically, yeah. but in cities like Copenhagen, where it's more of a norm, you actually sometimes will see more women on bikes um, because a lot of times they have their kids with them. And yep. that's a great way to get your kids around. I love it. So let's, let's talk more about the element of safety and women on bikes when we come back from a quick break. And let's dive right into women and biking and what those numbers really look like. So according to a 2015 study, um, there were 104 million Americans who rode a bicycle at least in that one year, in 2015, including 45 million women. So that made up about 44% of bike riders. What I found really interesting is that, um, you know, 53% of women riders cited that biking was a good way to get around. And I would agree with that. Yeah. Right? I'm biking to work. I'm biking to friends. I'm biking to the gym. Women or be biking. Ball. Women be biking. But the majority of bicycling women bike for recreation, for exercise. And I'm looking at you, Soul Cycle. I'm looking at y'all spinners out there, right? Yeah. Like, I wonder how the outdoor versus indoor cycling numbers break down for women. Oh, that's fascinating. So I, I do both. I do, I don't do Soul Cycle because it's not for me, but I do a, a class at Off-Road DC, which is all around sort of, it's like a precision, precision class that's supposed to make your actual like on-road biking oh. better. So they think of them as like, you know, together. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Have you ever spun as a cyclist? No, I haven't. I had I have some weird aversion to it. Like, I, I just love being outdoors. And yeah, part of biking for me. I got to feel the wind in my hair and my face. Totally. Oh, that was I, I was a long and no shade to anybody who does Soul Cycle, but I was a long time skeptic of those classes because I guess I almost <laughs> felt like they were rooted in a kind of. This is going to sound awful. Like it's going to sound like I'm trashing people who take those classes, but I am one of those people now. So I'm talking about myself. <laughs> It always felt like, you know, if you, like, I feel like biking is such a great way to explore a community and it feels like those classes are like, I don't want to explore the community. I want to be in an air conditioned room. And so for a long time, I thought those were Mm. like not cool, but now I do it. So I find them totally different experiences. Mm -hmm. Right. And I would also venture to guess, and I'd love to hear from y'all on this. And I'd love to hear from our audience on, on, uh, who's listening to this on their earbuds, you know, is is there overlap between spinners and cyclists? I bet there's not a whole lot. I don't think there is. Yeah. You do both? You do both? both? Cool. We I got- think they're both different kinds of communities. You know, you got do the you know? community yeah. that's right around you in spin class and then kind of the, I get to know my neighbors because I'm out on a bike that yeah. I wouldn't have met otherwise. You know, I can stop and talk to someone when I'm riding my bike home. I can't mm. really do that in my car. It mm. would be really inconvenient for everyone around me. <laughs> if you stopped your car and was like, hey, I know <laughs> you. I for 10 minutes yeah. right here in the road. But I can do that on my bike, and I love that. Yeah. Um, 
And so over the past few years, I found as a woman, I really started biking when I moved to DC in 2012. And I just found it to be the best way to get rid of my car that I no longer wanted and to get around the city of Washington, DC. I also, over the past five years, spent a couple of months in Portland, Oregon. And that was when I noticed a significant uptick in women on bikes. And there was just something so fierce about being amongst a community of women bicyclists. And I've seen, at least this is totally anecdotal evidence, but I've seemed to have seen over the past few years an uptick in the overall number of women urban commuter cyclists. Mm -hmm. Would you say that's true for Atlanta? Oh, absolutely. It's totally anecdotal, but I definitely see that on my daily commute. I used to know everyone that I saw around me, and they were mostly men. And then I looked up one day, and I was at an intersection, and there was a woman on a bike at every corner of the intersection. And we all kind of looked around at each other like, is this weird or is this the new normal? I hope it's the new normal. <laughs> right? And I think it really is. Um, so there's a lot of different groups in Atlanta. Like we have a Heels on Wheels group. You can find us on Facebook. Oh, on tell, tell, us about heels, tell us about Heels on Wheels. Yeah. Well, I like to ride my bike in heels. And I would get comments from people constantly, just this constant commentary of, you didn't ride your bike here. What are you doing? That's unsafe. It's like, actually, it's unsafe for me to walk in heels, but I'm fine on my bike. Right. Yeah, biking in heels isn't actually that difficult. It's great. Right. It keeps your foot on the pedal. Yeah, it totally yeah. does. Yeah. It's like a bit of a it's lock. Like a mini and, right. Um So we started this group called Heels on Wheels. I love we go that. on bike rides together. Um, but there's a lot of other groups, too, of women in Atlanta and around the country who are really getting together and bonding over biking. So I think that's important. I love that. So one of the things I mean, that just reminds me so much of one of the experiences I feel like is a specific thing to women on bikes, which is people, their commentary. So, you know, if you're biking mm-hmm. in heels or biking in a skirt, I feel like people might have something to say about it. And I have certainly had my fair share of, of cat calls and et cetera on bikes. Do you think that is a... A, a, a issue that women find that like keeps them off the bike or do you think it's impacting the levels of women that are biking? I do think it's a deterrent. I think it kind of depends on your experiences too. If you're someone who's experienced sexual assault, for example, it's a way bigger deal for you than if you haven't. Mm. Um, so I think that's something that a friend of mine actually who works for the statewide organization, Georgia Bikes, um, Nedra pointed out to me recently, I was kind of blasé about the issue on another panel and was asked about street harassment if I'd experienced it. And I was like, yeah, I always just tell them, you know, go get your own bike. You know, the most common question is, hey, can I ride? And there's kind of overtones and undertones to that. Yeah. Um, and she, she just pointed out, you know, it might be not a big deal to you, but it might be a bigger deal to other people. Right. So um, I think that's important mm-hmm. to recognize. And then just, you know, it, it ranges from just the little commentary, like the constant commentary that you get when you're a woman on the bike, on a bike, like you're inviting it. Um, when you're really not, you have no interest in being commented on mm. all the way to, you know, more extreme violent acts. Like I've had people threaten to kill me with their cars and wow. run me off the road and Gross. Um, someone who just decided to stop behind me and honk for five minutes. Like late on the horn? Mm-hmm. That's so wow. rude. And she drove away. Was a it was a woman? a woman? Her license plate said, too blessed to be stressed. Oh. <laughs> I guess it's not true on that day. That kills me. And what's your experience with this? I feel like as a as a lady biker, you've told me some stories about street harassment and commentary. Um well first of all, I will admit to having more than my fair share of biking accidents, which we can talk about some more. Um let's see. There's so many. But I think one of the most exceptional experiences of commentary was 
benevolent sexism on display in the most insane way, uh, in that I was locking up my bike with a t-shirt dress that I am known to wear on occasion, including right at this very moment, because I love the ease of a t-shirt dress. And I had, I probably had like boots with a heel on and a t-shirt dress. And as I'm locking up my bike, someone who's dining al fresco, happened to be an older male, um, told me, hey, I just want to warn you, biking in a dress can be risky because there might be some guys out there who are trying to get a peek up your skirt while you're biking. And so you probably shouldn't do that was his sort of implication. And I had one of those moments where I had my words with me right when I needed them, which you got to savor those moments, right? And I said to him, you know, you should probably go tell them that they should lock it up and not do that, right? Because that's not my problem. I'm fine. The problem is the people who are hollering at me, including you. Totally. (laughs) Yeah. And he was just like dumbfounded and I locked up my bike and was on my way and I felt pretty good about myself. Yeah. First of all, kudos to you for having the right words. That would have, I would have smiled and giggled and in my mind been like this jerk. And then I would have gotten home and been like, Oh, I have the perfect thing to say. Let me see if I, I would have, I literally would have made a Craigslist missed connection of like, (laughs) did you talk to some girl on a bike? Well, here's my, my comment. Yeah. Here's my week later. (laughs) I love it. Just in the hopes that he would have seen it. (laughs) But the entitlement of talking to a woman on a bike. Seems similar to street harassment in general, that for some reason a woman in public is therefore there for your entertainment. And to me, that was never more prevalent than when I got into an accident in a circle. DC's known for its many traffic circles. And there was a bright red Ferrari to my left. We were both at a stop sign. We'd both stopped. And I went straight to continue on my way because he had not used a blinker of any kind. And he decided at the last minute, without looking to take a hard right-hand turn. And in doing so, I ended up rolling over the like roof of this Ferrari, totally scratching his right door with my bicycle, which I thought my bike was totaled. It was pretty dramatic, and I'm like flopping over onto the ground. And the first thing he does is get out of his car and scream expletives at me, saying what the basically, what the heck did you think you were doing? And I just turned right back at him and, sa- and said exactly what he said to me. And that's when he calmed down and said, it's okay, I'm a doctor. Let me take a look. And my dad, the the attorney, the workers' comp attorney later was like, didn't I teach you to roll on the ground writhing in pain in an experience like that? And he was kidding, of course. But I was fine. And... Nothing ever really came of it, but you didn't sue this guy for a mil- you didn't say give me that Ferrari. My dad or asked me how it went. He was like, "Did you go to the hospital?" I was like, "No, I really needed to go p- play this volleyball tournament down by the Lincoln Memorial." He's like, "Well, there goes your case." <laughs> <laughs> so I went on to play a volleyball tournament after that. I was a little shaken up, but I love that. I mean, yeah, I think I have you had a close call, Rebecca, on a bike, or have you been involved in an accident? I have not been. <gasps> Knocked off my bike by a car. I've been slow motion hit by a car and mm. actually managed to not get knocked down. Um, There's so, a Chumbawamba hit. Yeah. There. I feel safer on my she bike than down, I walk. But she gets, but she up, gets up again. again. You're never yeah. going to keep Rebecca down. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, I I lived in D.C. for maybe a week until I had an accident. So it was it was pretty. <laughs> oh, wow. it, it was pretty early on. I was in, it's like an initiation in D.C. Right. Everyone I know who bikes in D.C. has had a close call or they've been doored, which if you don't know what that is, is when you're biking. <gasps> and it's, it's honestly, it's like the worst. There's not a, there's not a worse thing you can imagine for a cyclist when someone open, like someone's parallel parked and they open their door and you're going too fast and 
you slam right into it, it's like the absolute worst thing. So yeah. PSA, if you're parking, if you're parallel parking, please look out your left mirror, your rear view mirror before you open yeah. your door. And if you're going to ride a bike in a city, it's a great idea to take a bike class. Like Ooh. an urban confidence class or there's what? all different. Every city has these. I took one before I started bike commuting or like maybe six months in. And I really attribute that to why I haven't had a serious crash because it's, it's basically like defensive driving, but on a bike. Wow. wow. Clearly we knew nothing we of should these take, things. Like, we should be taking <laughs> hey, this Well, class. you guys you learned the hard insane. way. I learned the easy way. Yeah. So we should be taking what did you say it was urban? Um, in Atlanta, we call it urban confidence rides. Urban confidence mm-hmm. rides. Shout out to urban confidence rides. I think rides. in DC they have confidence city cycling. Okay. Oh, you really know oh, your like bike. Yes. You're like, yeah, we need to get on this. We I talk. love it. Um, I talk. So I really want to get into more of Rebecca's background and some of the work that she's doing here in Atlanta. And we're going to do that after a quick break. We're back with our lovely guest, Rebecca. And one of the things I was so kind of thrilled about with Rebecca's work is how she's really fighting to make biking more safe in cities like Atlanta. So, Rebecca, can you talk us through um, the state of play of biking and safety here in Atlanta? Absolutely. So biking in Atlanta is actually safer than people think. It's not very obvious that it's safer than, than you might think. We're, I think, number 18 among the top 50 U.S. cities in bike safety. So what that means is that a lot of years, no one dies on their bike, but a lot of serious injuries do happen mm. um, at the same time. So it's not to discount those because um, this have a huge impact on everyone. But the biggest and best way that we can make biking safer is to create safe spaces for biking. And that's what other cities that have much safer records when it comes to these things have done. Anytime you can put some kind of physical separation between mm-hmm. the person on the bike and the 2,000-pound vehicle that can be also used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. A.K.A. It's killing a machine. Yeah, a cars thing. scare me. Like, so, you know, you can ride in traffic and you can mix it up. And in my 20s, that was great. And then I had kids and I realized someone needs me to be around yeah. for a long time. And uh, protected bike lanes and things that keep you um, safer by slowing down car speeds are a really good thing. So... Fun fact, if you get hit by a car going 25 miles an hour, you're going to live. Uh, if you get hit by a car going 35 miles an hour, you might live. If you get hit by a car going 45 miles an hour, you're probably going to die. Wow. So the thing to do is avoid streets where cars are going 45 miles an hour. Wow. And this is definitely one of the barriers to getting more women on bikes is this perceived danger and real danger of bicycling. The same study from 2015 found that 54% of women are concerned about being hit while on their bikes and 48% of women would ride more with protected bike lanes. And it sounds like that's a huge part of the initiatives that you're really working on here in Atlanta. What does that look like? Well, a couple of years ago, we wrote a grant and got the city to hire what we called a chief bicycle officer. Nice. Um, so the one requirement was that she be named Rebecca also. So her <laughs> name is Becky Katz. Um, she's amazing. And she's just all about building out this network of safe, connected bikeways. Um, and she's also shepherded into town a bike share system, which a lot of cities around the world have. Speaking of things that Paris initiated. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, so we have Relay Bike Share now. And it's amazing because you see people on the blue bikes. You know, now that I've mentioned it, you'll probably see a bunch of stations around. There's one right across this from where we are now. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And the great thing about it is that it just make, makes biking accessible to everyone. So this is a $10 monthly pass. It's very affordable. Um, you can use it for short little trips just to get from here to there. 
get to the train station. Yeah. Get to your hotel. And I love, oh, go ahead. No, I love that. And I, one of the things I was so fascinated and like happy about with your work is that the way that y'all plan out where you're going to do these initiatives and where you're going to sort of advocate for, uh, like infrastructure, you're thinking about it in a holistic way so that like there's not a disproportionate impact to some parts of the communities, like low income parts of communities, where you really want it to be all of Atlanta is is, is better served when we invest in this kind of bike infrastructure. Um, in D.C. and perhaps in, in other cities and perhaps in Atlanta, maybe you can let us know, um, biking has become a kind of symbol of gentrification, the same way that like maybe Soul Cycle places are, uh, for, at least in Joe's, my mind, yeah, yeah. Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, yeah. Starbucks, um, other places, things like that. Like they become these symbols for gentrification, and I think in DC, you there is the feeling that when um, people get bike lanes, that that means that they're investing in com- in certain communities for certain kinds of people and specifically not investing in other kinds of people. And so I'm happy to see that your work um, here in Atlanta kind of wants to make all of Atlanta a more bikeable, pedestrian-friendly place. Yeah, that's really important to us. And I think understanding the role that transportation projects have played historically, um, you know, during the urban renewal area, era, a lot of big public investments, including things like highways, were actually used specifically to segregate populations. So um, the people that were developing downtown actually had this document back in 1948 where they said, you know, we're going to build this highway and let's place it so that this black neighborhood is separated from downtown and wow. the business community. So that was an intentional thing. Wow. Um, so I think you have to keep that history in mind. Um, but something really cool about Atlanta and I think D.C. as well is that there's a really um, strong and amazing black community, lots of black communities in Atlanta. Um, we're sometimes called the Black Mecca. And there are cycling clubs, because cycling is so social, that have popped up. Mm. Um, so, for example, the Metro Atlanta Cycling Club was founded by African Americans. And everyone's welcome, but, you know, that's really part of their history, and they're proud of it. And they've been around for 25 years. And then there's Red Bike and Green Atlanta, um, which is all about black empowerment. And I think, you know, just some of the history is really fascinating, and it's what makes biking so much fun and different in different cities. I love it. And just like the bicycle was a symbol of female freedom during the suffragettes marches and the early start of the women's emancipation movement, we were talking off air a little while ago about how bikes were relied upon during the Montgomery bus boycott in the like heat of the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. So there's a strong connection between bikes equal freedom, freedom of mobility, self-sufficiency, and you can cover some serious ground yeah. and it's people powered. And there's something really, I found when I was really in a, in a hot mess place in my life and wasn't feeling very physically strong, I found mental strength through physical strength mm-hmm. and being able to get on your bike. And at one point I biked from DC to Harper's Ferry, Virginia, which wow. is like 60 something. It's a long, it's a long bike. bike ride. I had two flat tires along the way that I learned to patch and replace myself. And like, those are not easy things to do. It took all day. And then I went tubing in Harper's Ferry, which is fun. And my friends drove me back for the record. But just being able to cover serious ground and be energy wise self-sufficient has an environmental impact, but also has like a personal, mm-hmm agency impact where it really made me feel 
in charge of myself and my personal space and my physical ability to get where I needed to go. There's just something so fundamentally empowering in the most literal sense of the word. Definitely. And about being I, on a bike. Yeah. And I have these memories of being a kid and living in the suburbs. And, you know, when you live in the middle of nowhere, having a bike is like a pair of wings, yeah. right? Like it's like you feel For like sure. finally I can go where I want to go. I can, I don't need my parents. Yeah. Yeah. You don't need your, you don't need to beg your mom and dad or older brother or whatever to give you a ride. You can, if you have enough, you know, like physical prowess, you could do it yourself. And I took some, I took some rides growing up that I probably shouldn't have to get some places I probably shouldn't yeah. have been going. Helicopter parents of yeah. today are like, what do you mean? Yeah. I have a GPS tracker in my child. <laughs> no. AKA their cell phone. But right, right, right. We can't even go into that. But let, can we talk a little bit more about minority communities or people of color and bikes? Totally. So I, I think it's interesting that there's a perception that biking is sort of a white thing to do, like skiing or like, um, I don't know. Tennis? Like putting raisins in potato salad. I don't, I don't know what y'all do. Whatever, whatever it is y'all are doing, I don't know. Um, but actually, there's a lot of no offense. You know, live your life. There's a lot of raisin eaters in the crowd tonight. Don't hate me. I'm sorry, guys. That was j- just kidding. Um, there actually is evidence to suggest that, especially now, biking is a a booming thing for folks of color. So I found this great study put on by the Sierra Club, um, one of the fastest growing communities who are biking are communities of color. Uh, between 2001 and 2009, the growth in percent of all trips taken by bike was 100% among African Americans, 80% among Asians, 50% among Hispanics, and 22% among whites. And so folks of color are, are out there, they're on bikes, and that even though we think of biking and bike lanes and bike infrastructure as something that, you know, young, educated, like wealthier, uh, privileged folks sort of advocate for when they move in. It actually, biking is, is something that, that does have, as, as you mentioned before, sort of uh, a history and a grounding in sort of civil rights activism and also just sort of like, we're doing it. We're out there. We're on our bikes. And it's accessible. Just like you were saying, Rebecca, I think bike share is a great example of financial accessibility and bikes and the freedom that it, it affords. And just to give a shout out to bike shares for those who haven't used them, you can actually just rent one for the day or you can get a 24 hour pass to try it out and see if it's right for you. You get an app that you can download and see where there's a spot to park your bike. And the beauty of bike share is that it's a one way trip. Like you can Mm. make it a one way trip or you can string them together. Crazy affordable. Whenever I travel to a new city, bike share is how I get around. I've biked in LA, New York, all over like cities that they say you can't bike in. Because you, of things like bike share. Yeah. I, I, I live on a hill, so getting that one-way bike is good. So it's yeah. like, I want to bike down the down hill, but I want to yeah. cab it up the hill. Yeah. That's, that's the bottom of the hill. Yeah. That, yeah. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Or a night out when you don't want to bike home under the influence. Yeah. Take that one way. And and one other thing I wanted to add here for one other amazing group of women of color on bikes that you have to check out if you haven't heard of them already. They're called the Ovarian Psychos. And they throw, they're from East LA. They're a collective of women of color organizing for basically group rides, bike education, advocacy around bikes. And they're community organizers who are, are reclaiming their neighborhoods that have historically and currently are dominated, have been and are dominated by gangs. Right. So there's a real... Uh, feminist and community organizing element to the ovarian psychos who have a documentary out that you should definitely check out of the same name, ovarian psychos. And I learned of them from, uh, I think an Instagram feed that I followed. They have a 
what they kind of call a gang sign, but it's they're co-opting the symbols of gangs. Um, they are not a gang. They are a collective. But they're, they throw a sign that looks like this. I don't know if y'all can see. We'll post them in the show notes, <laughs> which is like ovaries, right? Oh, so I get it. Female power ovary sign that they like have on their Instagram. And it's part of being a, an unapologetic woman of color who rides around LA. I maybe love with it. a bandana wrapped around your face. Like they are awesome. I love that. And I mean, I'm in a couple of groups for black women in DC who bike. And what's so fascinating to me is how those groups, they get so into the nitty gritty of being a black woman on a bike. And so as a woman with natural hair, like if you're biking to work and you want to wear a helmet, and this is something that Rebecca and I were talking about off, off air, you know, if you've got like your fresh twist out and you don't want to mess it up because you paid $55 for it, but you need to go to work and you need to look nice and you need to wear a helmet, what do you do? And so it's fascinating how these topics that you know, do come up just in the in the physicality of being a woman of color on a bike, you know, and, and sort of giving folks the space to lift up those issues and and kind of dive into them. What's the so have you have you seen the helmet develop at all around women's style needs? I wonder. Hell no. The only thing I mean, I wish if there's yeah. a, if there is a like rich. I've seen ones with ponytail holders. Oh, well, that I actually kind of like. Um, there's a great if you watch Broad City, the character Alana has a has a wig on her helmet, which I want that helmet so badly. So it's like I'm very into my hair. And I one of the things I hate about helmets is that they obscure your hair. Yeah. And I would love to just be able to have, I love even it. if it's fake. I love that episode. I thought about shaving my head and just getting a wig. Oh my God. I saw that you... Because Atlanta in the South in August, mm. we're trying to get to a meeting on the, on the bike. <laughs> right. <laughs> your hair is not going to survive that <gasps> journey. That hasn't come up. The sweat factor, mm-hmm. like the sweat deterrent is a real thing too. I feel like more and more offices, especially larger corporations who are trying desperately to retain millennial talent. And uh, millennials want to be retained, for the record, but that's a whole other episode. Um, you know, the benefits and perks that, that companies, especially startups, are coming up with include gym memberships and showers on site, which can be a huge differentiator in, and I've, I've done it. I've been the woman who bikes to work and is arriving a little sweaty DC. It's, you know, we know it's humid here in Atlanta, but it's also a swamp in DC in the summers. People, men especially regularly ride the Metro with their shirt for the day in a hanger holding it because they know that by the time they get to work, they're going to be drenched. Yeah. And this I've, building we're in actually added a bike room recently, and so it oh. has lockers and showers and a bike valet. Ah, and how else. cool! A bike valet. Yes. That's cool. Fascinating. I, I told this story to the group uh, much earlier today, but I used to be a teacher, and my first class I ever taught, I biked to that class, and when I arrived, I was drenched in sweat, including massive pit stains, <laughs> yeah. and I didn't bring anything else to change into, so like that was just how I was going to look. And I went to write my name on the blackboard, and when I lifted my arm, my pit stains were so like obvious and. And you know, on a, on you like you had to see them. The entire class started laughing, and like I had lost them for the semester. <laughs> that was it. Oh, I man. lost control of that class. <laughs> oh man! Shout out to all the teachers out there. Teachers, your work pit is stands. I mean, if you're teaching and biking, I like mm. please write it, and I want to know how yeah. you're doing it. Yes. You know, electric bikes are really catching on right now, and they really help with the sweat factor. And oh. um, also, the hills were a city of a hundred hills. I think it's been wow. Sad, so. What's an electric bike exactly? Um, it's basically, they're, they're electric assist. So there's a little motor in the rear wheel usually. And just as you pedal, you can change the power levels to mm. all the way up or just a little bit of extra help on the hill. 
Um, I have one. It's like my minivan. I use it to carry my toddler. Oh, around. oh that's a little awesome. See, yeah, but they're really catching on. There's actually an Atlanta shop called Edison that just opened recently <gasps> that is local and they're building electric bikes. Oh, how here. cool. Oh, so cool. I, what I find so interesting about that is I remember when electric bikes were becoming more of a big thing. And in a Reddit biking community that I was in at the time, there was a big argument about, you know, why don't you just pedal and, you know, use your legs. But that really highlighted, and, and I think it's something that I want to highlight for this episode, is like mobility issues or like, like, like not everybody is able-bodied enough to be able to, you know, ride up a hill, especially if they have a kid with them. Like, and so some folks might need that extra help. Right. I, I think that those kinds of things that allow folks who allow folks who might need a little bit of extra help now mm. and then to have that, I think are great. Absolutely. We're all about the things that are, make it more accessible. And actually we're trying to get our bike share system to adopt electric assist bikes. <gasps> Birmingham, Alabama has a quarter of their bike share system is electric assist. So they can do it in Birmingham. I know we can do it here. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Birmingham. Yeah. I mean, saying that though, back to the Reddit comment, it's like saying, you know, you have to ride a fixie or it's not really riding a bike. I mean, it actually, just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Portland was a little bit like that. I'm not going to lie. When um, I did bike in Portland. You weren't riding a fixed gear to your craft I was on a brewery? Single speed. Totally it was a single speed. You're so whack. I didn't, yeah, I know. I need a mustache tattoo before I'm legit in Portland. Um, you spoke about bringing your kids along, and I think we do have to wrap it up, but there are so many elements I want to discuss here. And I have the, I'm childless, but I have a fur baby, a four-legged little doggy, uh, who's only 30 pounds, and I may or may not, aka I may, have a child carrying thing that I tote along in the behind my bike. And by the way, this is all Brad the Boo's doing. He got it when I was on a business trip a month ago. And my dog sits in the child carrying case behind my bike and pulling his butt around all over the city is actually quite laborious. And he also has torn a little hole in the Now, he's a really well-behaved dog on the go, but he tore a little hole so that his head could pop out of the carrying case. And so I'm riding around the city being laughed at openly with a adorable, I'm biased, but I think maybe the cutest dog in the world, whose head is poking out of my child carrying case behind (laughs) me on the bike. And I recently biked right by another woman bicyclist who's coming the opposite direction with the same carrier with a human child in it. And we had this moment that I was just like, I was just like, oh God, oh God, how is this going to go down? And then I just started shaking my head and cracking up as she, she sort of gave me this nod of acknowledgement. Like I see you, the sisterhood thing, bicycling with your kid. And then she saw the dog head (laughs) popping out and she's just not a human child. (laughs) So all is to say, you know, accessibility, including the canine variety is, I love my bike and I love my dog and I love when they go together too. I love that. I I remember when you got that. You were so you were so proud to show the picture of little Teddy the dog in the <laughs> little terrier. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, I'll put it okay. in the show notes. So Rebecca, uh, how can folks find out more about all the awesome initiatives you've got going on here in Atlanta? They can find us on our website or on social media. The website is atlantabike.org and our handle is at atlantabike. So for all the Atlanta folks here, we want to challenge you to get on two wheels if you haven't already or if it's been a little while. And don't let our horror stories scare you. It's actually way safer than driving a car. Yeah? Way safer. Um, and you've got great people in leadership here in Atlanta like Rebecca who are doing all that they can to make biking in this great city accessible and safe and affordable. And we thank you for that, Rebecca. Thank you. 
Well, we want to hear all from y'all about if you're biking, if you're if you're too scared to bike, are you getting catcalled when you bike? Do you want to bike more but you don't sort of know how to start? Whatever it is, we want to hear your bike story. You can give us a tweet at MomStuffPodcast on Twitter. You can hit us up on Instagram at uh, Stuff Mom Never Told You on Instagram, and you can send us a good old fashioned email. Maybe it's a email about your bike community, your awesome rad lady bike community, or whatever it is, uh, at MomStuff at HowStuffWorks.com. And thank you so much to Breakout ATL for having us today. Thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, It's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.